We are continuing along in our study on the gospel, the good news. And we are in section three, the good news of deliverance. And we've broken this down into two parts. We finished the first part, which is deliverance from sin. Now, when we looked at the good news of atonement, that dealt with our individual sins. All of our sins were paid for, they were forgiven, they were sent away. But there's a there's another problem yet to be addressed, and that's the nature of sin. And if you read the book of Romans, you'll see where Paul addresses these two things separately. In Romans, we saw from the very beginning of the book, Paul was eager to go to Rome to preach the gospel to them. And then we saw how for almost three chapters, he gave them nothing but bad news. All have sinned. No one has a chance. There's none righteous. The whole world stands guilty before God. But then he finally gets around to the good news, which is we can't do a thing about our condition. God took care of it all through the blood of Jesus, through the atonement, All of our sins were wiped away. We became the righteousness of God in Christ. We were justified through the blood of Jesus. But then when you come to Romans 6, Paul deals with another part of the problem, and that's the nature of sin. That is is still an ongoing problem that has to be dealt with. And so in Romans 6, 7, and 8, He deals extensively with this battle that goes on inside of us. I want to do good, but I do bad. The bad that I want to stop doing, I keep doing. And he really gives a solution in Romans 6. The only solution is for that old man, that old nature, to be put to death and then buried in the waters of baptism and then raised by the power of the Holy Spirit to live and to walk in newness of life. Now, the second part deals with what he refers to in Romans 6 as slavery, or the dominion of sin. And that is a deliverance that we talked about last time that is also offered to us through the gospel, but it's separate and distinct from the atonement. And... What we want to look at tonight is the second part of deliverance, and if you're following in your outlines, this would bring us up to page 9, section G, where it says deliverance from satanic or demonic dominion. We've now dealt with the problem of the sin nature or captivity to sin. Jesus said, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. So sin is something that enslaves, and we've, we've, saw, we've seen from the beginning of this study, deliverance means to be rescued or set free from some kind of dominion, some kind of authority or control over our lives. And 
whether we like it or not, we're always going to be under someone's control. <coughs> we either choose to be under God's loving control, or we end up under some other kind of control. But we're not ever really free in the sense that I'm my own boss. See, that's the big lie of Satan that he's told so many people in the world. I'm not going to serve God. I'm going to be my own boss. <laughs> what ends up happening, and we will see this very clearly in several scriptures, we become Satan's captive and we're actually doing his will. So although I've been duped into thinking I'm free, I'm really not. Now, in Luke chapter 1, I want to reread this passage. It's actually found at the bottom of page 7 on your outline. And it's Luke 1 from verse 68 to 75. This is a messianic prophecy concerning the coming Christ, Jesus. And it says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. And here's the part I love. This is a clear and concise definition of one major part of Christ's mission. It's to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Two main parts. The first part is deliverance or rescue, but it's not complete without the second part, to enable us to serve him. And it reminds us of the Jewish people in bondage in Egypt, which is a picture of the bondage to the slavery of sin, let my people go so that they can play and enjoy life and have a good time. No. Let my people go that they may serve me. There is no true freedom apart from this motivation. I want to be free so I can serve the Lord. And people will come wanting to be set free from their addictions, from their torments, their fears, their bondages. But if they're not really sincere about wanting to serve the Lord, it's not going to be real deliverance. It'll be very short-lived and they'll end up right back in some other kind of bondage. And the other scripture I want to reread is Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news. That's what we're studying about. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed. A major part of the good news is seen right here in this verse. It's freedom. It's deliverance. It's release from oppression, from bondage, and from slavery. Now, back to page 9. A major part of Jesus' ministry was setting people free from demonic and satanic bondage 
oppression and dominion. Now, thank God we live in the modern world and there are no more demons, right? Uh -huh. Plenty of them. I think we got more than they had in Jesus' day. I think some fresh ones have been released from the abyss. And we begin with an interesting scripture in Isaiah 26, verses 13 and 14. It says, O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us. Isn't that interesting? Other lords besides you. Did you know there were other lords? Notice it's with a small L. <laughs> I like to make sure I capitalize the Lord when I'm referring to the Lord Almighty. There are other lords, however, and there are other gods. He's the God of all gods, and he's the Lord of all lords. But there are other things that would like the Lord over our lives. And the people of God understood that. Other lords besides you have ruled, or King James, I think, says, had dominion over us. But your name alone do we honor. They are now dead. They live no more. And then we find out who these lords are. Those departed spirits do not rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. There is a very complex spirit world, <clears throat> which we're not going to go into in depth in this study. That's, that's another, another whole study. But there are powers, principalities, there are fallen angels, there are demonic spirits. There's a whole spiritual realm of darkness that Paul refers to in Ephesians and other places in the New Testament. And this next verse shows us very clearly what I was talking about earlier. If we don't want to serve the Lord, fine, but we're going to serve someone else. Someone else will make us his slave. Second Timothy 2, verses 25 and 26. This is a very powerful portion of Scripture. Those who oppose him, and in the context it's referring to the Lord's servant, those who op oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do what? To do his will. God has a will. So does Satan. Satan is looking for every opportunity to take men, women, and children captive so that they will do his will. He's not content just to give them the goodies and the candy. He has a motive, he has a plan, and he has a purpose. He wants to take people captive so that they will do his bidding. And notice, these who have been taken captive, only God, can grant them the repentance that will lead them to a knowledge of the truth so that like the prodigal son, remember when he was there trying to eat pig's food, he finally came to his senses, uses that same, same expression here, 
they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. By the way, it's implied, it doesn't come right out and say it, these people that have been taken captive to do Satan's will, they're not in their right mind. Do you see that? Because they need to come back to their senses. So they're out of their minds, in a sense. They're not really aware of reality. They've been blinded. They've been deceived. They're not really in their senses. They have to be brought back to their senses. And in so doing, <clears throat> escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I've given you some scriptures there. We're not going to look them up, but the Bible is very clear. If someone doesn't want to serve the Lord with gladness, God will hand them over to other, other lords that will in turn rule over them. In, in this case, with torment, with pain, with addictions, with fear, and with bondage. Far better to choose to serve the Lord. Far better to commit yourself to serve Christ and enjoy his freedom. First John 3, John makes it very clear that when a person chooses a life of sin, they didn't sign up for this, but it's an automatic result. They become a child of the devil. It says, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's why the first part of this study is so critical. We need to be set free from sin. Because if we're still slaves to sin, we're going to still be under Satan's power. And that dominion cannot possibly be broken if there's still that affinity, that draw back toward the life of sin. Now, let's look at some examples of different kinds of deliverance that Jesus brought to people. Now, the next section we're going to look at in this study is the good news of healing. But there were certain people that Jesus healed, not by praying for healing, but he healed them by casting out demons. Now, let me, let me be very clear here. Not all sickness is caused by a demon. There are certain infirmities and sicknesses and diseases that we do see in Scripture that were caused by an evil spirit. And no amount of herbal tea <laughs> was going to set those people free from their sickness. They had a demon. They needed deliverance from a spirit that was making them sick. Again, not all sickness is caused by a spirit. This is why one of the gifts of the spirit listed in 1 Corinthians 12 is discerning of spirits. We need to discern what is causing this sickness. Jesus, in this next passage, <clears throat> he discerned that this woman's problem was not physical. It was a spiritual problem. It had physical effects, but the real cause of it was an evil spirit. Luke 13, 
from verse 10 to 16. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Notice that. Crippled by a spirit. Now, not all crippled people were crippled by a spirit. Maybe some were injured in a car accident. Maybe some had some kind of a congenital defect when they were born. But in this case, we're told right off the bat, this was caused by a spirit. And it's lasted for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. That's deliverance. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. I mean, how ridiculous. <laughs> Religion really makes us ridiculous. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, notice this, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years. What does Satan like to do? Take people captive bind them, oppress them, and keep them in various types of prisons. Why did Jesus come? To set people free, to bring deliverance, to bring rescue, to bring freedom. Now, her infirmity was caused by an evil spirit. And again, I'm sorry to keep repeating this, but sometimes people don't hear it right. Not all sickness is caused by a demon. Not everybody needs deliverance from an evil spirit that has sickness. That's why we've devoted a whole other section to the good news of healing. But these things do overlap. And there are a number of instances, which I've listed here in the next part, where various conditions were caused by evil spirits. Blindness, deafness, epilepsy, and even the inability to speak. All of these infirmities were caused by evil spirits. Not all the time. But Jesus discerned in each one of these cases that what was really afflicting the individual was a demon. And what they needed was deliverance. Now, <clears throat> depending on your Bible, there are frequent, frequent references to Jesus casting out unclean spirits, or the NIV usually translates it evil spirits. And we're not going to look at all these verses, but they all mention the same Greek word, which is akathartos, which means impure, either ceremonially, ceremonially or morally, lewd, foul, or unclean. NIV, again, refers to them as evil spirits, but the real Greek word 
implies something foul, something unclean, something morally impure. And these spirits are obviously associated with evil, unclean behavior of, of many different types. And in many cases, these demons cause various kinds of obsessive behavior. Unclean, evil, and obsessive. People are driven to do things even that maybe they don't want to do, but they've opened themselves up to these types of spirits. <clears throat> Remember, we talked about this in a previous class. Satan is referred to as Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. Very interesting. And when Jesus spoke of that, he was talking about demons. And in the context, it's very clear, the demons are like flies. And Satan is the leader of all the flies, of all the demons. Well, if you get rid of filth, you get rid of the flies. If you get rid of garbage and dead and stinking stuff, the flies will go elsewhere. So I think there's a real powerful message here, which we're going to come back to at the end of this study. If you want to get rid of the flies, get rid of the garbage. If you want to get rid of unclean spirits, get rid of the uncleanness. Stop indulging in books, websites, conversations, things that invite the flies, the unclean spirits in the first place. One of my favorite verses is this next verse, Acts 10, verse 38. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of, or King James says, oppressed by the devil, because God was with him. That's what Jesus did. He went around doing good and healing, or more correctly, delivering all those who were oppressed by the devil, under the power of the devil. The Greek word here is a compound word. The first part means down or under, and the second part is the word from which we get dynasty. Dynasty, rule, power, or authority. Putting it together, it means under the power of something, under the dynasty or the rule of something. So Jesus went around delivering people who were under satanic or demonic rule. In all these verses, we're noticing Satan isn't content just to let people play around. He wants to be their ruler. He wants to take them captive and bring them under his power, under his rule. One of the biggest areas of deliverance is this area of oppression and depression. They're, they're similar. Something is pressing down on you. Now, let me again qualify this. Not everybody that's sad has a demon. Not all depression 
is a demon. But believe you me, there are demons that come to oppress and to depress. And when it becomes a tormenting thing that, that you cannot break free of, I would start to pray and wonder if maybe there's a spirit involved because there are spirits of oppression and depression. If you remember the story of King Saul, how when he turned away from the Lord, evil spirits came and tormented him. <coughs> Listen to this passage in 1 Samuel 16 from the Message Bible which is kind of a loose, modern translation of Scripture, sometimes it gives an interesting uh, twist on the Word of God. At that very moment, the Spirit of God left Saul, and in its place, a black mood sent by God settled on him. <laughs> you ever felt a black mood settle on you? I certainly have. And I know it... it it's something that's outside of me, and it comes and wants to sit on your head. It's, it's a dark thing. I, I like this black mood. He was terrified. Saul's advisors said, this awful, tormenting depression from God is making your life miserable. Oh, Master, let us help. Let us look for someone who can play the harp. When the black mood from God moves in, he'll play his music and you'll feel better. Saul told his servants, go ahead, find me someone who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men spoke up, I know someone, I've seen him myself, the son of Jesse of Bethlehem. Of course, he's referring to David, an excellent musician. He's also courageous of age well-spoken and good-looking, and God is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse, requesting, Send your son David to me. <coughs> David came to Saul and stood before him. Saul liked him immediately and made him his right-hand man. After that, whenever the bad depression from God tormented Saul, David got out his harp and played. That would calm Saul down, and he would feel better as the moodiness lifted. Now, you may be a little bit disturbed by an expression that's repeated several times here. It seems that this demonic mood or this demonic depression is coming from God. There are, there are many places in the scriptures where you find this same kind of a dynamic. It's a little hard to explain or understand, but the best way I can explain it is when you withdraw from God or when you turn away from God, God allows other things to come in his place. It's not so much that he has a bunch of demons up in heaven that he's waiting to pour out on people. It's that when people choose to turn away from God, God lets us go, and we're on our own, and there are plenty of demons to come and fill that vacuum. In Saul's case, it was a spirit of depression, a black mood, an awful, tormenting depression. 
And it's interesting, Luke 4.18, the verse we read earlier about Jesus coming to preach the good news and to preach deliverance, it's actually taken, taken from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. But if you read further on in the actual prophecy in Isaiah 61, in verse 2, it continues and says this, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. King James calls it a spirit of heaviness. <clears throat> there is a spirit of heaviness. There's a spirit of despair that would try to come upon any of us. And again, this isn't the same thing as grief. Now, our dear sister is grieving over the loss of her mother. That's something totally different. I'm talking about a, a spirit where you just, you feel desperate, you feel tormented, you feel lost, you feel hopeless, you feel this heavy weight coming upon you, often for no reason. You just wake up feeling depressed. We need to resist that thing. And by the way, one of the solutions is found right in this prophecy. God promised a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. When you feel that thing starting to come on, start praising the Lord. Get out your harp or your guitar or your voice and just start singing to the Lord. Start praising God. Start quoting verses of scripture. Start, you know, declaring out loud who God is and what he's promised to do in your life. Colossians 1.13 tells us that Jesus has rescued us from the domain of darkness. Wow. There's a domain of darkness. Darkness isn't just an inanimate thing. It wants to take dominion over people's lives. And only Christ can deliver us from that dominion of darkness. <clears throat> How many of you know there's a spirit of fear? It's a spirit. Now, there's a natural fear. We're all afraid of things. But there's a spirit of fear. And the Bible is very clear. God didn't give it to us. 2 Timothy 1.7 God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. One of the spirits that we often need to be delivered or rescued from is this very spirit. Spirit of fear. Listen to Romans 8 verse 15. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. When Jesus died on the cross, he was destroying him who had the power of death, and therefore he delivered us from the slavery, the bondage to the fear of death. If we really have eternal life, why are we afraid to die? 
I'll repeat that. <laughs> if we really know that we know that we know that we have eternal life, why are we so afraid to die? When the Bible tells me I've been set free from that bondage. Now, an unsafe person, they may, you know, look all macho and they're tough. Oh, I ain't afraid to die. Yes, you are. How do I know that? The Bible tells me that. Anyone who's not been saved, they're still in bondage, in slavery, it says in Hebrews 2, to that spirit, spirit of fear. Thank God we've been set free from that spirit. We're not fearful for our lives. We're not fearful, oh no, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. No, God has delivered us from that bondage. Now, it's not to say that we're wishing or hoping to die. I mean, God doesn't want us to go around with a suicidal spirit. But at the same time, the scriptures are very clear. If the Christian dies, he's going to sleep. Anybody here afraid to go to sleep? <laughs> no, because you know you're going to wake up again. Same idea. If we die in Christ, we're going to wake up again in the morning through the resurrection. All right, 1 John 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, torment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Notice all these things involve torment, bondage, slavery, oppression. They're all negative things, unclean spirits, spirits of fear, spirits of oppression, things that come to enslave us and hinder us from being able to praise the Lord, worship the Lord, and serve the Lord. There's a whole host of other areas where Christ brings deliverance. There are things like anger, resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness. That's not to say every time we lose our temper, we have a spirit of anger, but there is a spirit of anger too. It's not to say that everyone who has a problem with forgiveness has a demon of unforgiveness, but I've cast spirits of unforgiveness out of people. Spirits of bitterness that held people in, in captivity for years and years. They could not forgive someone who did something to them. There are, there are lying spirits. Spirits of deception. Spirits of hypocrisy. And here's a very uh, prevalent area. Rebellion. Let's look this verse up. This, this I think, bears a little more attention. 1 Samuel 15. It's again in the story of our friend Saul. <coughs> 1 Samuel 15, 23. Could somebody read it? Someone with King James can read it? Very interesting. I wouldn't normally have connected rebellion with witchcraft. They, they seem like two totally different things, but they are actually very closely related. Because witchcraft, in its, in its purest sense, it deals with manipulating other people. And isn't that what rebellion is? I want my own way. So I'm going to manipulate other people to get my way. Be careful. 
be careful. I'm not saying every time somebody's rebellious, they're becoming a witch. But it is a powerful statement that's made here. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness. Now, thank God, nobody here ever gets stubborn. Right? We're all just meek, pliable, yielded, 